depression. I am born. Hi, and welcome to today's podcast. It is Tuesday, April 19th, 419 day. Something I didn't know about a couple of months ago is going to be much of the content today. Safety Net, an incredible program run by some really good people that I've come to find out in my time on the board at Zeph. Kitty and Haley will be by in just a couple of minutes. Safety Net, probably, as with most guests on this show, will not affect you at all. But um, one of the great things about Toledo is... um, here on 4190, it's a city. It's a big city. I think we have um, in the metro, so including like suburbs and stuff. And to me, that's we're more than just a city. Uh, Sylvania, Perrysburg, even some of the r- more rural areas. Northwest Ohio, it's like a quarter of a million people or more. But yet, we all have uh, the ability to know a lot of people here. Uh, it's different in other cities of this size where I've lived. Um, so why... People like Kitty and Haley are on today because safety net it might not affect you, but I bet you know somebody or know somebody who knows somebody who what they do at safety net could be vitally important, if not life-saving. They've got some great information. We'll get to that in a couple of minutes here on 419 Day. The City Paper, uh, a tip of my, I'm wearing a Sixers hat today, to them. They put out some great 419 content. Um a 419 quiz. I've shared these on social. Please, I don't repeat this enough. There's a bunch of places to get with what I have. The personal Facebook page, Eric Chasing the Fam on Q105 Facebook page, Twitter, Instagram, there's even some TikToks. And remember, um, I don't have all the time to riff on all the news stories that are going on. And I keep coming across people saying, I don't follow the news because it's all bad. Well, not all of it is. And some of it is very important and pertinent to being better citizens here. And maybe something will ring with your heart that you want to get involved with. I would say at ericchaseblog.wordpress.com, which you'll see on the other social media platforms, I collect lots of headlines for news. It's just a headline. You can skim through the 8, 10, 12, maybe not even that many and go, oh, I want to read this. Um, As opposed to you going from site to site or tweet to tweet trying to find things, I try to collect things that are meaningful to you. And I'd say between 70 to 80% of it, if not more, is lifestyle oriented rather than there was a fire here, there was a murder here. I know you avoid the news because much of it is bad, or you view it that way. That's not there. Please stay up on what's happening here where we live. Back to the city paper for a brief moment. A great quiz and 25 Toledo truths. Now, this is not me slamming where we live, but as much as this is, this falls in the vein of only in Ohio does it snow in April. Only in Ohio do we get three seasons in one day. Actually, that happens a lot of places in the Midwest. Um, some of the truths here are applicable to many places, but a couple that I will stand like one, if you're an artist, you're home. A lot of places welcome artists. There are murals everywhere. In fact, we were kind of late to the mural party, especially when Detroit has been doing it so well for so long, but I'm not here to slam anything. And first of all, a city is not necessarily buildings. A city is the people. Um, like with the Marvel movie, where Asgard was destroyed. Asgard is the people. Toledo and the surrounding areas are the people here. And two good ones coming up shortly. But first, a couple of these truths I can I can res- that resonate with me. 
Um, once a week, no matter where you live in the area, you will see a deer. That was even true when I lived downtown. Um, we do have undoubtedly, there's only a couple other places that can even come close. We have the best college sports rivalry in all the land. The only one that comes close to Michigan and Ohio State um, is Duke and North Carolina in basketball. Uh, maybe what, the Red River rivalry. Is it Texas and Oklahoma? A couple of, like, obviously football is massive. Like, what we have with Ohio State, Michigan is all over the South, two degrees. But that rivalry has always fascinated me, even before I lived here, because you have people who live in Ohio who hate Ohio State. And it makes sense because you're here where we live, you're much closer to. Wolverine, the Wolverine campus in Ann Arbor than you are Columbus. So it fascinates me, the dichotomies and the contrasts of, I'm a Buckeye fan, but I live in Michigan. I live in Wazion, but I'm a Michigan fan. It is the it is almost not up for debate uh, that it is the number one college sports rivalry in all of college sports. The other thing, you know, I will not generally say, only here do we have construction season and winter and some of the other generalities which we speak of, which we're all guilty of, I try to be mindful of. But I will, without even, without even doing the research, I will put the mud hens and walleye in the professional minor league experience and the success on the ice and field that both of those teams have, the walleye recently, the walleye much more recently than the Mud Hens, who I think have only been to the playoffs like twice in the last couple of years. Um, the product they give us on the field, on the ice, and then in between the innings and in between the periods and all the entertainment that comes with it because of those two organizations, which really act as one, I will put the Mud Hens and Walleye up against any other professional minor league duo in any city across the country. That generalization I will make. I will now also introduce you to Kitty and Haley and uh, soon Larry from the incredible program that is Safety Net run by the Zeff Center. Ladies, welcome to all this. Kitty Slight. Hi. From Safety Net and, yes. and the Zeff Center. Um, Haley, you will have to correctly pronounce your last name, which I'm sure you're very used to. It's Thanasu. I'm sorry? Thanasu. I like that. <laughs> like that a lot. Um we're going to talk about Safety Net here today, a great project to help out runaway kids uh, yes. with the Zeff Center. Um, Kitty, how did this all come about as a project of the Zeff Center? What what, what was the, the impetus behind its creation? So I'm glad you're having us here on 419 Day. Yeah, but this is pre-recorded, so okay. totally fine. <laughs> totally fine. People will get the context. To me, every, to me, every day is 419 Day. So Safety Net was formed in 2016 and was a, a collaboration between many partners in the community who saw a need to support runaway and homeless youth in our community because the closest shelter to Toledo is about 150 miles away. So the community recognized primarily juvenile court, juvenile justice, Lucas County Children's Services recognized the need to support these kids who need emergency crisis shelter. What was the inflection point other than the, the sheer distance of that? Was there some type of crisis moment where something something tragic happened to a kid um, that opened up everybody's eyes and, and the community and whoever came together and said, we need to have this? 
Was it uh, just a large amount of kids that we saw on the streets? Haley, you're shaking your head. What do you got for me? What was the inflection point where we put the, the pedal down? Don't be nervous. Um, it's totally recorded. So I think that um, it's just Zeph wanting to like expand and do more. How can they help the community? And then realizing as doing research, like, okay, we're seeing a lot of youth in the community. Um, what can we do to help these homeless and runaway youth? And then I think that's kind of what was the turning point. Uh, Haley, I'm uh, sorry. Uh, Kitty, what's your specific position with Zeph Center and, this, and the safety net? I am, my title is Director of Community Relations, and I also serve as Project Director for Runaway and Homeless Youth Services. Haley, did I see you're your licensed so, a licensed social worker? Yes. Um, what what leads a, a kid to wind up where you guys are? And we'll get to ring the bell shortly. Um, I think we all have, like many things in life, we have... Uh, specific type of idea in our head, a stereotype of what someone looks like. Let's break down that stereotype. How does a kid wind up going from having a home to winding up at your doorstep and ringing the bell, which again, we'll get to. Um, So I think with a lot of the youth that we see, uh, most of the time, there's not like a specific, like they look like this type of thing. It's it's from all different backgrounds. Some come from money, some come from poverty. Um, some of them have two parents in the home. Some of them are a single mother, single father, living with grandparent, aunt, uncle, whoever. Um, I think the main thing is just knowing that they all have trauma um, coming from, it could be maybe they're identifying as part of the LGBTQ population. And then mom, dad, whoever doesn't, necessarily agree with them and so then they will kick them out tell them you know you can't be in the home so sometimes that is what leads them to us sometimes it's um abuse in the home it could be substance abuse the parent that the parents are using drugs maybe they're neglecting the needs abandoning the youth don't want them anymore um and then it just makes the youth not want to be in the home so they lead to the streets and then they find us and come to us but most of the time it is abuse happening in the home kitty so I was going to add to that that we, um, upon entry into the shelter, we conduct what's called an ACE screening, and it's the Adverse Childhood Experiences Screening, and this, the kids are rated on a score of 1 to 5 on that. And the average score for us is 4.21, which is really high, and I will share with your listeners um, that recently, our last quarter, 68% of the youth that we um, cared for indicated that Yes, their parents were divorced or separated. And second to that, 55.6 of the youth that we cared for often felt like no one in your family loved you or thought you were important or special, or that your family didn't look out for each other, feel close to each other, or support each other. So that tells you that it's like the emotional... um, it's an emotionally, emotional abuse. It's an emotionally bankrupt place. Yes. Um, I, I want to get to, and I think we chatted about this before you and I, some, some opioid um, involvement with this as well and the time frame of that, but I'll, I'll come back to that in a moment. What are some of the questions on there? And I think I, I, I can get the gist of it. Do you, can you give me any examples of the questions on that? Uh, Screening? Yeah, please. Yeah. So some of the questions would ask, um, have you ever been hit or have you experienced any of the physical abuse, that type of stuff? Are your parents separated? Um, It just pretty much asked them about to touch on physical, um, sexual, um, emotional, emotional, any type of neglect or abuse happening. So it'll just ask questions that they identify um, that would be simple enough for the youth to say, okay, yes, I am experiencing that or I have experienced. But what's interesting, sorry, 
because you know she once I get going, interrupt away. <laughs> the less talking I do, the better. What is? It's sad, you know. I am not a licensed social worker, and all the credit goes to Haley and her team. But what they often share with me is that the kids are sharing these stories about what they're experiencing in the home, and the staff is like, "Oh my gosh, you are experiencing this is abuse," mm-hmm. and the kids have no clue. Sure, this is just their life. Uh, let's let's throw out some somewhat grim, maybe violent examples because you're right. Uh, I'll use an example of myself. When I was growing up, I didn't understand anxiety or depression. Mm-hmm. Um, kid, Haley, you interacting with all these kids, like suicide is, they know of the concept. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was a, a teenager um, and going through what I would have, I, I never knew that suicide could perversely be a way out. Um, so what are mm-hmm. some of the things that happens to some of these kids that we can spread the word and say, if this is happening to you, there is a place that you can go to safety net and lots of other places with help within the F center. So I think, um, some of them, you know, know, obviously if my parents hitting me, things like that, that that's kind of like an, an ideal thing that they know that is abuse. Sure. But a lot of times they're like, you know, mom packed up for the weekend and she left me home by myself. I'm a minor. I'm in a house by myself all weekend. I have no food in the fridge. Um, there's no running water. I don't have clothes, shoes. I'm not enrolled in school. Um, all of those things are forms of abuse and neglect. Um, when we're targeting our youth. So I just think it's being able to understand that it's not just physical. It could be mental. Mom is, you know, cussing at me and, you know, tearing me down, calling me fat daily, um, you know, just telling me I'm stupid. Those types of things are abuse that our kids are seeing. Also, that to them, that's a normal day. They're, mm-hmm. you know, they come to us and then they're like, wait, like, how are you going to get somebody to help me just because my mom tells me I'm stupid? Like, it's stuff that our youth are experiencing. We all live in these little silos and, and they are our own ecosystems and we think everything within them is normal, but then we look outside of it. Um, let me ask you this. In the last couple of years, uh, really no one's life is better than it was around 26 months ago due to COVID. How much more painful um, and things filled with anguish have things been? Have you seen an uptick in kids dealing with all these things? Because everybody has dealt with some kind of emotional trauma in some way over the last two years. Mm-hmm. Whoever would like to answer that, feel free. Yeah. I can just say that we we track um, the kids coming into our shelter who are reporting that they are experiencing some type of mental health crisis. Most recently, um, that percentage was about 70% of the kids coming into the shelter were experiencing some type of mental health crisis, which is, which is percentages much greater than prior to COVID. Um, and it is sad, mm-hmm. but also the kids, much like most of the population, were isolated. They were locked down. We lost a lot of our first kind of like first responders out in the community, bus drivers, school cafeteria workers, school counselors. Mm-hmm. When the kids weren't in school, we lost those eyes, Sure, you know, and so it's just kind of like regrouping with everyone and getting everyone back together. And so this past month in March, um, it's, I'm sorry to say that our numbers are back to kind of like pre-COVID, which means we're serving a greater number of kids, which I guess is kind of good, but right. also it's very sad. It, it's very paradoxical. Uh, yes. Like when I do all of my walks for suicide prevention and whatever else, mm-hmm. it's like, you, you, we, I actually said to somebody today, here on 419 Day, which for some people is a couple of days ago, I wish we could stop having all of these because that means we solve some of these problems, but it's good that people are now coming to these things because they know there's help out there. Yes. So we just push forward. Let me ask you this. You, you brought brought up something good with the, the first responders or the first eyes. Uh, when I get the opportunity to go out in schools, 
Um, and we remind the kids, as much as you think every teacher in here wants to fail you into eight years of high school, they actually don't want you here anything more than four mm-hmm. years, and they want to help you. Right. Um, what are some of the things that those adults, who you're right, they're the first eyes, they're the first responders, mm-hmm. bus drivers, teachers, counselors, aides in the lunchroom, lunch people. What are some things they can look for and say, hey, can we talk? I know a place if. Yes. So even beyond that list, convenience store owners, people that folks that work at uh, Little Caesars at the carryout, maybe a convenience store owner sees a kiddo coming in every day at three o'clock to get the same set, the same staples every day. That's an indicator that that kid is experiencing some type of crisis at home. And it doesn't have to be, um, it doesn't have to be a counseling situation. It is simply empowering adults, caring adults in our community to be able to say, if you need some assistance, I'm happy to help you find some support. That's it. And then they can call us. We can pick up that kiddo. A lot of our kids get to our door, um, you know, our ring the bell door um, on foot. But it's empowering individuals in this community, be outside of children's services, outside of juvenile court. They can't do it all. People on the street, those FedEx drivers, folks in the library, um, UPS drivers, we all have the power to interact with kids and just say to them, if you need help, please let me know and I'm happy to provide it to you. Um, some important specifics with what you do at Safety Net with the with the Zeph Center. Uh, in a lot of places, I can just tell people to, to grab a website or or whatever it may be, a phone number. But in this place, the physical physical location is mm-hmm. vitally important. So let's talk about, um, it's, it's kids 18 and under, correct? 12 to 17. 12 to 17. Mm-hmm. Um, and the location is vitally important. And let's go with that and move into ring the bell and why that's such an important thing. Haley, you're up. <laughs> um, so I think with the area where um, safety net is located is, is important because it's like the hub of, of everything. It's like, it's right within school districts, um, bus routes, um, convenience stores. It's just right in the middle of everything where it's easy access for the kids to find. Um, well, wait, I, I, I like, I need the, I, I'm looking for the exact address yeah. because it's a little different oh. from a lot of people that will, I'll have in here mm-hmm. and they know, they know, you know, there's a NAMI location, but there's other places right. and there's Zeph centers all over the city in the area. Sure. This is one specific place. If a, co- if a child is in distress, yes. they should go go to so if if you are if you are walking down the street in the city of toledo make your way to the corner of ashland and woodruff avenue our safety net shelter is actually located inside of our 2005 ashland avenue facility however the entrance to safety net is off of woodruff you cannot miss that entrance because it's marked by a large colorful mural all those kids have to do is get to that doorway and ring the bell and we've got them from there that is their first t- step towards safety. And day or night, right? 24 hours a day yes. around the yes. clock, right? Yes. Because uh, abuse or the decision to escape it uh, is not on a nine to five schedule. No, because a lot of times kids will have to escape in the middle of the night because that's when the parent or the caregiver is sleeping. Um, we we have kids who have jumped out of a second story window to get out of the house and make their way to us. I mean, it's that's why we have to be there 24 seven. That's why the support of the community is so important because we're the only ones doing this work. Yeah, and uh, a big shout out to the guy at the center of all this, Larry, who is not here with us today, but we'll have him on soon. And now that I know that I can needle you on that, I'm, I'm gonna do it all the time. Good. You gave me the soft spot. Um, Haley, when a kid arrives and after they've rung the bell, Kitty, you talked about the assessment, what's next for that kid? So once the kid comes in, um, we do do our intake process with them, which is just um, 
screening the youth. So we'll do like a human trafficking um, screening on them, a risk screening. So are you feeling homicidal or suicidal right now? Um, and we we do that the ACEs score with them too. So we'll basically just ask a bunch of questions like what brought you here today um, and kind of normalize the experience. And in the middle of doing all of that, we try to make it as comfortable as possible, mm-hmm. provide food. Um, let them, you know, watch TV or whatever. Sometimes they want to have their phone out while they're doing it. It just makes them feel comfortable. So we try to do it very informal, make them feel welcomed. Um, And once we get through that process, we can then take them into the shelter um, and start going about the day. A lot of times they want to just go straight to their room or take a shower. Some of them haven't eaten in a few days. Um, Most of the time what we see is the youth wanting to come in, eat, shower, and sleep for like the first 24 hours. So we usually let them be in just try to make them feel comfortable during that time that they're with us until the next day so we can start working on all their stuff. What does a normal day look like once the initial assessment and that 24 hours of maybe maybe shock um, leaves them? Because I know ultimately you'd like to get them into a better place and you can only have them there for so long. But what's day two, day three, day four like? Um, it's different for every kid. Um, every day is different. So Typically, what I can um, give you what most of the days are like, um, we're really working hard behind the scenes. Staff is working with the youth to do life skills groups, so we're teaching them how to wash your clothes, how to you know, make your own meals, nutritious meals. Uh, we do things like budgeting with the youth, too. We also do... Um, we can do pretty much anything. Talk about anger, talk about emotions, feelings, things like that. Um, and then behind the scenes, we're working closely with Children's Service and um, Juvenile Justice to help figure out how can we get this kid into a safe, stable place? What does that look like? So a lot of times we're coordinating meetings with the youth. We're putting them in um, placement meetings or maybe they have court with mom or dad to figure out is going home going to be a safe place? We're linking them to mental health treatment. Um, it's just kind of, it's it's a bunch of meetings, a bunch of working with the youth behind, try to keep them out of the meetings as much as possible and keep them in a kid environment. Uh, I want to come back to where they ultimately land shortly, but I'll rewind. We talked about the LGTB youth, which is, a, I would say, a large percentage of the kids that you serve. Is there is there someone with a specific set of skills to connect with that kid uh, at Safety Net? Absolutely. Yep. We do have a very diverse group of um, staff and the ones that don't specifically have that um, personal experience. um, We do make sure that all of our staff are trained is not the same as having a personal experience. Um, However, all of our staff are educated and trained, um, aware of biases and how to how to handle certain situations, be welcoming. Um, It it seems like we do we do have a lot of kids that um, are a part of that population, and they always gravitate to us, and they always feel the safest there. So we're doing something right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, when you are doing things right, what is the beginning, the precipice of what a positive outcome looks like? You talked about maybe mediation with the parents, children's services. Give me, and obviously you can't give a specific name or anything like that, but give me a success story. Give me a light at the end of the tunnel here where a kid has gone through for lack of a better way to put it, and I'm sorry if I misspeak, the program, and now they're in a really good spot, or just, uh, it doesn't take much to be better than where they were, but they're stepping on the right path. Absolutely. Um, We actually have a lot of success stories, Um, but one in particular, when I first started at Safety Net a couple years ago, we had a youth that had been coming to Safety Net before I even started over there, Um, and I got the opportunity to work with the youth for uh, almost three years um, and he was getting ready to age out so when he came in he had no relatives here in the state he had nowhere to go he was you know 
about the street life. He wanted to run the streets. He didn't think Safety Net was going to work for him, but he kept coming back. And every time he came back, he would share a little bit more with us, and he would let us help him and a little bit more each time. Um, this last time that he came to us, we were actually able to reach out to a family member, um, get them screened through the process through Children's Services to make sure they were a safe place. He felt comfortable going with this family member, um, and we were able to successfully place him. And when we did our follow-up calls, um, we do 30-day, 60-day, 90-day follow-ups, we reached out to him, and he actually is successful. He's actually going to college now, has a job. Um staying out of trouble and um, he really thanks us for the work that we did do and he even told us you know I have to be honest Miss Haley I didn't think the program was going to work and I didn't you know enjoy it when I was there but now I realize it and we do hear that a lot especially when we're doing our follow-ups they come back so we'll see the same youth leave and come back three or four times before we're actually even able to help them. Great great Kitty want to add anything to that? I just think it's it says a lot about the staff at Safety Net they are um, creating an environment as Haley said, that where kids feel safe, but oftentimes it's it's like recovery for these kids to build that relationship. So they have to keep coming back. And each time that they come back, they share a little bit more of the story and the staff is able to do a little bit more work with them. And so we do have a lot of kids who come through three and four times during a calendar year, and that's okay. You can come and go as much as you want. We are not limited. The only thing we're limited on is the number of days that you can stay, which is up to 21 anybody wants to know but other than that you can come and go as much as you want what happens if i'm a kid and i'm getting close to to that to that limit what are my options how can you help we have um, other sources of funding that we're able to tap into to help um, provide additional days at the shelter but by that point haley and her team have really done what they're so good at is finding place for for that kid so it usually isn't a concern for us good um what are some of the other placements I'm, I'm drawing blanks i'm thinking of people adopting or or whatever and I'm, I'm guessing when there's an adoption or when someone takes a a kid into their family it's a younger child not a teenager so what are some of the other options rather than maybe finding a relative or praying that the family stuff actually works out what are the other options um typically we see foster homes or group homes um I mean, as sad as it is to say, a lot of times when the youth reach like 15, 13, 15 years old, it is a lot harder to place them outside of a relative's home or back in with their parent or guardian. Um, But we do run into those issues. um, And we are seeing that those youth are being placed in foster homes or groups homes. They're they're able to take them sometimes um, out of out of Toledo. Um, We actually just had that experience the other day. It's really sad to see the youth have to leave their home and leave the city that they grew up in. Um, But we are grateful that we do have those resources in the community. So I think some people, including myself, would think foster home, group home, not the best places, Mm -hmm. but they're also coming from some pretty horrible places. Is there a, is there a shine? Is there a positive light we can put the group homes and the foster homes in? Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. I do think there is a stigma against the group homes and the foster homes. A lot of the kids have them when they come in, um, but they're doing the same work we're doing, just in a different setting. So that's something we always try to tell the youth. Like, I understand you may not want to be in there with, you know, seven other kids, but you're here in a shelter. There could be seven other kids here. Um, Everybody, I think, that does this type of work has a story behind them and has a passion for it. Um, So I always just try to encourage the youth that you're going to a safe place. These people are here to help you for a reason. It may be permanent. It may be temporary. um, But it is a safe place, and they provide the same resources that we do. Well, if those kids ever want to share their story, send them to me because like the one kid that you said kept coming back and back, it's 
Hopefully he'll come back and and carry the message and be an evangelist for the great things that you guys do. Yeah. Uh, last couple of questions, and please, if I missed anything, just throw it at me. Um, is there any? What's the intersection here? Because it's something that people are becoming more and more familiar with. There's an international conference that happens here that is vitally important to human trafficking every year at UT. Mm-hmm. What's the intersection between the runaway kids? And I know we brought it up uh, briefly between human trafficking yep. and runaways. So. We are, um, at, at Safety Net, we assess every child, regardless of how they present, um, it, to see if they are a victim of human traffic, trafficking. There is an assessment we use, it's called the FOCUS Trafficking Assessment. Um, it was developed by Dr. Celia Williamson at the University of Toledo, and we are actually a part of that coalition. And so we meet with that coalition on a quarterly basis, and we network with all of the individuals who are kind of wrapping their arms around victims of human trafficking and providing supports. Internally at Zeph Center, we actually have a staff person who is a designated human trafficking case manager. So if we do identify a child who has is potentially a victim of human trafficking, we're able to link that individual with our case management um, team or that case manager in this instance. Um, in addition to that, we do, we're do we starting to do some work with TARDA. Um, Good. And uh, that TARDA has the Hope Hub downtown now, so we'll be able to get some information out um, to the community that way. And then also, Toledo Public Schools is uh, launching a whole protocol um, around human trafficking, and we'll be supporting that effort as well. Good. Last thing, and, and we might have uh, zoomed past it, <laughs> it was the epidemic before the pandemic. Uh, the opioid battle um, and and so many lives lost to that and there's already some early numbers that it's it's as grim as you might expect sure. because when people are isolated mm-hmm. and they can't get the medications that they that are prescribed for them just all kinds of bad things have happened that I I hate to look under the hood when we start to get those numbers and we get farther away from COVID yeah. one of the things that I often came across anecdotally but it sounds pretty accurate you had a lot of grandparents taking care of kids that they weren't able to take care of because they were just kind of like typical teenagers mm-hmm. or younger kids but though the parent was gone due to Mm -hmm. an overdose or in jail from an overdose what was that like with the safety net program that you in your experience um i think for the kids it almost seemed normal to them that they didn't realize it kind of like kitty said earlier that um what may seem alarming is not to them all of the time. Um, But for us, we did see a lot of youth, and we still do, that their parents are passing um, from from drugs, alcohol, it doesn't matter. Um, Or, you know, we see them come in and they're like, my parent is in rehab, my parent can't take care of me, the parent loses custody. Um, And then we see the kid have the severe effects of trauma after that is happening. So we do get a lot of kids. Yeah. You know, one of the calls that we get at the shelter a lot, and it kind of breaks everyone's heart because we cannot accommodate kids when maybe it's a grandparent calling in and saying, I just need, I just need a break. I, and we do not provide respite. So, um, but it is such a need in this community because there are those um, caregivers, there's aging caregivers who just need a break for a few days to kind of like regroup, pull themselves back together. Um, and unfortunately, a runaway and homeless shelter isn't the place for that to happen, but it's something that's definitely on our radar. Haley and I are both um, really working hard to try to figure out a way to provide support to those families as well. Awesome. Uh, Kitty and Haley from Safety Net within the Zeph organization, any last details that we can pass along? Get to our door and ring the bell. There we go. Ladies, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.